Thank y'all so much for being here, of course. And, um, you know, we're so grateful for everybody that's in this body. You know, and that's the thing. We're all together. I was saying this to, to Brother Tim before service started. We're all together. We're all one as the body of Christ. And so I want to say thank you for Pastor for allowing me to speak. Um, he's not feeling well, so pray for him. I think he's just the weather changing so much, you know, head cold, all whatever it is. He's taking medication. Missy said he's, he was feeling a little bit better. So, but for him to not preach, you know, he's not feeling good, you know. So I'm just thankful for this opportunity. But if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, I'm jumping straight into it. I told somebody I had one day to really, like, an evening and one day to prepare. And I was like, I only got like 15 pages of notes. And they were like, and I was like, oh, no, I'm kidding. But it won't take too long. Hopefully not. I always say that. I got plenty of time. I got like an hour. Okay. All right. Jason said before the service, he said, 15 pages, 10 minutes a page. We'll be here for two and a half hours. I said, yeah, that's right. I'm kidding. No, I'm joking. But this morning I want to I want to speak on something that I, I just started praying about. Of course, you know, I was, again, I was having a conversation with, with Brother Tim before service. I'm the type of person I really struggle with, uh, with preaching, with going back, opening the cabinet, you know, pulling out the, you know, sermon number, yada, yada, and, you know, just getting up there and doing it. And I, it has to be in my heart. I have to feel like the Lord's speaking in my heart, you know, and I'm not against anybody who does that. That's, that's between them and the Lord and how God and the Holy Spirit leads them. But I, I just began to pray Friday night about what I would preach on. And it was kind of funny because I was like falling asleep in my bed and it was like I was dreaming of, the, of a particular scripture. And then when I woke up, I was thinking of particular things in that scripture, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, go to the scripture and read here, and then it was just like, boom, there it all was. So I was just thanking the Lord for that, because, you know, without him, I could do nothing, um, and, and I know that. And so before we even get started, I just want to thank him. I want to ask God to move. So can we do that, Lord? I thank you right now for this time. As we get to open your word as we get to share, as we get to grow in you, God, I pray that you would work, that God, it wouldn't be about me. It wouldn't be about any man. It would be about you, Jesus. It would be, it would be about who you are, who you call us to be. And Lord, I ask that you would work in our hearts through this time of teaching and preaching. And we thank you for it, Father. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the title of this morning's message is Being Like Christ to One Another. You know, the Bible talks about how we're called to be like Christ, right? Man, that's a big calling because none of us can do it. Not in ourselves, at least, but with the Holy Spirit's help, with God's power and presence in our lives, with the word of God guiding and teaching us, we can be like Christ. We can be like Jesus. I'm not saying we are Jesus. I'm not going into that crazy theological things that some people go into. They go into this deep thing that we're like, you know, we are gods and all that stuff. No, no, no. We are servants of the Lord. We're children of God. But God can strengthen us. He can enable us to be more like him in this walk. And of course, the big typical phrasing word would be like sanctification, right? That's the process of becoming more perfected in a sense in the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, the scripture that I'll be in is in Philippians chapter 2. And I'll start in verse 1. Um, and I'm going to go through verse 11. But I, I want to camp in the first, really in the first like 
two verses for a while because I feel like the Lord was speaking to my heart about, about how we need to be acting in the church towards one another and then also in our relationship with Christ because it's important that we aren't like the world, right? Right? I mean, God says, be separate from the world, right? You, you're in the world, but don't be of the world, right? But what I see now, more, more and more nowadays, what I see is people act more like the world and less like the church that God wants us to be, right? We've adopted things, kind of like how Israel would adopt things. God was like, I have set you apart. You are separate. I've called you as my nation. And then they start, you know, serving other gods and they start giving to idols and they start doing these things that God didn't want them to do. And I think it's easy, and listen, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. We can all do it. It's easy, like I was saying earlier, you get caught up in life, you get caught up in what you're doing. Like, really, this time, this, you know, this season, the Thanksgiving, Christmas season, people get super busy, right? It gets super difficult to do things. Oh, I'm doing this, and I'm going here with my family, and they're coming in here, and I'm visiting. And it's like busy, busy, busy. And it's really easy, like I said, to get caught up in all those things. And then we forget who Jesus is calling us to be, not only in our relationship to him, but our relationship to one another. We get caught up in ourselves, right? That's, that's human nature to do that. So Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi, and in chapter two, he will address the Christians in their walk, in living in humility, in living in servanthood, and then also in being like Christ who lived with extreme humility. Jesus had extreme humility. And, and we'll explain why he had that later. And not only that, but he had extreme honor towards God. He honored God, his father. So we're called to be like Christ, right? So we're gonna, we're gonna dive deep into this, all right? So the main text, like I said, Philippians chapter two, verse one, it says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? It says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, interest but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So like I said, I want to stop for a moment in these first like two verses and camp here for a moment. Because he asked, Paul asked three questions. 
or really four. He asked four questions. And I found it kind of interesting that he asked these four questions because all of the answers, in a sense, would be yes to each of these four questions. So it's easy, like I was saying earlier, to get caught up in our life, to only see what's in front of us, to only focus on us, to only focus on our walk. And we can lose the perspective that this life that we live on this earth, it's not for a really long time. I mean, it's really not. How many of you have ever heard of Duck Dynasty? Come on, Duck Dynasty, right? Right? Everyone's like, where's he going with this? You'll see. Okay, so <laughs> the reason why I say that is one, one, one day I... I was listening to some sermons and I noticed that, you know, the, the dad, the, the grandpa or the dad, you know, Phil, you know, big old, big, you know, the godfather of Duck Dynasty, right? He's the guy, right? He was preaching at Gateway Church here in Texas. And I was so intrigued because I, know he, I knew he was a man of God, um, you know, very prevalent in the show, of course, close to the ending of what they did. I didn't watch all of it, but I'd see clips of it. But he's very, 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 very zealous for the kingdom of God. He loves Jesus, and he's very vocal about it. Well, he preached at Gateway Church, and I thought, man, I got to hear this, you know? So I'm listening to it while I'm driving home one, one afternoon from being up here at the church, and as I'm listening to it, I realize he has a very powerful testimony of how God saved him. So if you've never heard it, you should listen to it. It's very powerful. But also, he made this declaration uh, after he got saved. He was, he was sharing the gospel with this man that he knew and he invited him over to his home and he was telling this man, he was saying, of course, listen, everybody's going to die. You know, you're going to die. I'm going to die. And the guy looked at him and was like, I'm not dying. And he was like, what, what are you talking about? Everybody's going to, he's like, no, nobody could tell me that I'm going to die. I'm not dying. I'm going to live. I'm going to live forever. And he kept saying, and, and he's looking at him like, no, man, like, Everybody before you has died. What are you talking about? You're going to die. And this guy would not take that truth of realization that he was going to die. And he was sharing in the gospel saying, listen, at some point you are going to die. At some point your life isn't going to be as long as you think it is. So you need to take this time to, to live for Jesus. You know, he's preaching the gospel to him. Well, he found out the very next day. And it's sad. That same man that said, I'm never going to die, I don't need Jesus, was killed in a bar fight that very next day. And so I was listening to this, and I thought, wow, man. I realized something right then at that moment. I got so caught up in my life and in church stuff and people and youth and this and that. Today might be my last day. Not because I'm going to go get in a bar fight, but it might be my last day because this might be the time that God's appointed me to meet him. But I was realizing in that moment while I was driving, I paused it and I really stopped for a moment. I started to thank God for my life. That could be alive. See, we can lose perspective that life on this earth isn't for as long as we think it is. James says life is like a vapor. It's here one moment, and then in the next moment, it's completely gone. So the question is, is how are we as Christians supposed to take each and every day? Remember, I'm talking about being like Christ towards one another. How are we supposed to take each and every day? And I just came to this conclusion. We just have to take it day by day and moment by moment. Because I can't get too far ahead 
of what God's doing to say, oh, I have tomorrow the next day. And I can't go back because nobody can go back in time. But what I can do is I could stand in my moment and say, okay, who does God want me to be right now? And how does he want me to live? How does he want me to think? How does he want me to speak? How, how does he want me to act in public and not in public, in private and not in private? Who does he want me to be? So my first point is this. Is there encouragement in Jesus and in God's people? Are we a people of encouragement? I want to ask you that right now. I want everybody to pause really quick because God was really speaking to my heart. Have you encouraged anybody lately? Have you encouraged anybody? Have you encouraged your spouse? Have you, have you encouraged your family, your friends? Have you encouraged anybody in your workplace? Have you been an encouragement to anybody? Because Paul, remember what I said in, in verse one, he says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And I'm sitting here thinking, well, of course there is. What do you mean? Like, you know, it was kind of like one of those moments, like, is he being serious right now? Why is he saying this like this? I was thinking... But I really started to break this down. Do we as human beings desire encouragement? Yes. Every person in this room desires encouragement. Every person wants to be encouraged some way. Every person is, is longing at times for someone to come along and encourage them. My question this morning is to you is this. Where are you and we as the body of Christ finding our encouragement? Where are you finding your encouragement and how are you being an encouragement to others? Look at Psalm 138, verse one through three. Look at this Psalm. It says, I give, thanks, I give you thanks, O Lord. With all my heart, I will sing your praises before the gods. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. Remember, Paul said, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Well, right there, there's the answer. There is. You see, there is encouragement from belonging to Jesus. And God should be our first place of encouragement. I want to seriously ask you, where is your encouragement coming from? Because some people get encouraged by the world, and some people get encouraged by their own jealous heart seeing what another person may be doing. Have you ever, have you ever done that? Keeping up with the Joneses. Have you ever heard that phrase? You find encouragement because you're like, oh man, they're, well, they're doing that. I, and you start to gain a false sen sense of encouragement to try to keep up, to compare, and to be like everybody else. To do what everybody else is doing. When God at times isn't encouraging all of us to do necessarily the same specific things. Why? Because he's gifted us all in different ways. So he's going to encourage you to do something in the Lord this way. And he might encourage me to do something in the Lord this way. And of course, as the body of Christ as a whole, we're all encouraged in God to do the work of God for the kingdom of God. But we have to understand that we find complete encouragement through God's word. And that will give us the strength we need. You see, some people might be discouraged in here. And the reason why you're discouraged is because you're working off a human encouragement. 
Human encouragement doesn't have the strength to hold up. Why? Because it's not from God. God is everlasting. God is all-powerful. How many of you in this room have ever had the Lord speak a word to you? Raise your hand. It's okay. If he hasn't, if he has, okay. Let me ask you a question. When God spoke that word to you, did you feel discouraged the next day? Absolutely not. You were ready to take on hell. You were ready to run around Jericho. You were ready to do whatever God was going to tell you to do. Why? Because you were living off of his encouragement. And you see, when we spend less time finding encouragement in God's word and more time calling up people and trying to hope that they somehow have the encouragement in them first to strengthen us, we'll miss out on so much of what God has for us. Because I think of Jesus so significantly in this way. Who encouraged Jesus? I started to think about that. Who, had, who encouraged Jesus in his walk? I mean, half the time, everybody told him he's a lunatic. Half the time, he had the Pharisees chasing after him, trying to debunk whatever he was doing, the healings in the ministry. His disciples, even at one point, said, you're not going to die, and he had to rebuke Peter. But I thought, who was his encouragement? It was the Father. It was God. Every day, God was encouraging him to do the work that he had for him. That's why he would retreat and go away. Because I have to, if we could be honest, I'm sure, and we know this, it says it in Scripture at times that Jesus, he had sorrow. I mean, at times, he was a man of sorrow. So that means he felt every emotion we feel. Yet he was encouraged to go die. <laughs> I mean, when you really start to think about those things, that's being real in real life. We're not in this fairy tale sugar-coated Christianity if we are then we're going to fail because we have to be finding our encouragement in God and his word look at Psalm 69 verse 29 through 33 it says I am suffering in pain rescue me O God by your saving power then I will praise God's name with singing and will honor him with thanksgiving. For this will please the Lord more than sacrificing cattle, more than presenting a bull with its horns and hooves. The humble will see their God at work and be glad. Let all who seek God's help be encouraged. If you're discouraged this morning, have you been seeking God's help for encouragement? Has that been your first look? Or have you been going to everything else? Have you been going to your own self? Have you been leeching off of things of your past to say that you find fulfillment? Well, I did this years ago in a remembrance of fulfillment. Maybe the reason why you don't have fulfillment and maybe the reason why you're not encouraged is because you're not going to the one who wants to encourage you the most, and that's God, that's Jesus. That personal time with him. It says, let all who seek God's help be encouraged. For the Lord hears the cries of the needy. He does not despise his imprisoned people. God's not going to despise you because you need encouragement. God hears and knows what our heart's desires and needs are. And when we spend time with him in the word, and when we worship him, and when we pray... He encourages us. He builds us up in those difficult moments. I want you to look at this moment. We're about to look at a moment in scripture. And I'd have to say this probably, if I was put in this man's shoes, I would think this would be the most difficult moment in my life. And it's the moment when Joshua becomes the man. 
He becomes the man. Moses dies. He doesn't get to go over, of course, because of his disobedience. And who's up next? It's Joshua. And man, I feel for Joshua. Because he's been wandering around with people for 40 years. Who had a lot of difficulties. Who didn't listen. Who weren't very encouraging. And finally those people had kind of passed and gone away. And now there was this new encouragement. This new people coming in. And then the guy who led you through it all, Moses, dies. Right before you get there, right? I mean, think about that. That has to be a gut crusher, in my opinion, because he's not expecting Moses to die. I don't think anybody's thinking that's going to happen. They're thinking, all right, we're about to enter into the promised land. We're going across the Jordan. Things are going to be great. We, I'm going to be with Moses. I'm going to be Moses' right-hand man. And then Moses, is pa- Moses passes away. You can read it. Go back and read it. And I thought about it. Man, what a difficult moment. He has millions of people he's leading. Millions. And look what God does in this moment. Look at Joshua chapter one, verse one. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River and to the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, You will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. You know why I love this? Because when this happened, God didn't say to Joshua that he wouldn't be able to do it. Man, I hate our world. You know why? I saw this video the other day. And this gentleman, he's very successful. And he said, when you're a kid, everybody tells you you could do everything. You could be anything. We believe in you. You could be an astronaut. You could be the president. You could be whatever. There's encouragement, abundance. He said, and then you hit a certain age. And then you share the desires of your heart with someone and they go, you can't do that. You're not smart enough to do that. You didn't go to school enough. You don't know enough. You're too young. You're not capable. You're not able. But what I love is God doesn't do that because he's not man. You see, some of you in this room, you felt discouraged because you're listening to everything else everybody else is saying and you're not listening to God first. And God, like Joshua, he's gonna say, you're gonna lead my people. You're gonna do my work. You're going to be strong. You're going to be courageous. I'm going to use you. You're going to possess the land. God's encouraging him. Because you have to know at that moment he was crushed. I mean, the man that you served under, you were assistant to for so long, he's gone. 
You don't have any more encouragement from him. I'm sure if we could go and listen to those conversations, I bet Moses was encouraging Joshua all the time. I bet he was saying, Joshua, you're doing great. I love you. Thank you for being my servant. Thank you. Oh, it's okay. You made a mistake. That's all right. Hey, let's do this. Let's make it better. You see, the problem with our culture today is it's gotten into the church, and the church doesn't want to encourage people. The church doesn't want to build people up. You say, Pastor Reese, are you talking to us? No, I'm talking to the whole church. You know, ah, you can't go do that. You're not anointed enough. No. What are we doing? We're missing it. We shouldn't be destroying each other's dreams in the Lord. We should be building each other's dreams up in the Lord. We should be united as one, encouraging each other to go after the things of God. Encourage each other. You want to come to pray and lead prayer? Come on, let's do it. You want to teach a class and you want to spend time in the Word? Come on, let's do it. There shouldn't be this idea because remember what I said earlier. We've adopted the customs of the world. That has been taught to every one of us. It's true. I mean, it's evident. I could think about it in my life. I had people tell me I could not do this. I mean, my own dad told me I couldn't do this. You can't preach. What are you doing? You're, you're crazy. But see, God said something different in my heart. And maybe God's saying something different to you. He didn't say to Joshua that he wouldn't be able to lead the people. Or good luck, Moses isn't there. But he encouraged him. He told him to be strong. He told him to be unafraid. Part of what we must do as people of faith in Jesus is know that God is with us at all times and in all moments. And if we seek him, he will lead and encourage us in the direction that he has for us. I think one of the reasons that people, that we get discouraged is that we're forgetting what God has told us. And we start to rely on what we can do in ourselves. Self-encouragement we start to rely on what we can do within ourselves, our strengths, and we encourage ourselves in them. See, we don't go to God first. And I just think of this, what did God tell Joshua to do? Yes, lead the people. Yes, go possess the land. Yes, be strong and courageous. But then he said this, look at verse eight. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything that's written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. God was saying, Joshua, this is your greatest encouragement, my word. Study it, know it, read it. Let it possess every part of your heart because when it does, I'll direct you in everything that you need to do. You won't have to worry. You won't have to be discouraged and wonder, what do I do? Because you'll have God's word in your heart. You'll have God's word in your mind and in your spirit. And when you read it and when you know it, God will encourage you through it. And then you'll be in a difficult moment and God will remind you of a scripture or you'll be in a difficult situation and you'll go back and you'll open the scripture and you'll be encouraged. You see, that's why people are discouraged. It's because they're not going to God's word first in their lives and finding God's encouragement through his word. He literally gave him the roadmap. He said, Joshua, study this book. Only then, when you know it, when you meditate on it, day and night, when you obey it, when you follow it. And then he says, verse nine, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with you. God tells him, this is where your encouragement and direction will come from. My word, know it, study it, 
succeed in it. The answers of encouragement that we need to continue in the faith do not lie within ourselves, but they lie within God's word. They don't lie in the world. You don't need to read a book about you know, 10 steps to be more confident. Read the word of God and let the Holy Spirit fill you with boldness. You know, we, it's like we give God a thimble, thimble full chance to do something. We have to give God everything. We have to trust him in everything. Look in Acts chapter nine, verse 31. Acts chapter nine, verse 31. It says, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. The encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It also grew in numbers. Notice where this starts. The encouragement of the Holy Spirit starts from the fear of the Lord. Where does all understanding come from? Proverbs tells us from the fear of the Lord. So when I know God's word and I walk in fear and understanding of it, God then through his Holy Spirit will enable me and encourage me through his word. But the next place we find encouragement is in us. It's in you. It's in me. It's in God's people, the body of Christ. First, we must all know that if you and I are called to God by faith in Jesus, then we must remember that we're in this walk together. Yeah, we have personal walks. Yeah, I got this and I got that. No, 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 we're all together. We are all called to one another and we're all called to encourage and build each other up. That is something God says you must do. You must do. The goal should never be to judge one another, harass one another, put one another down. That should not even be found among us because that's not who Jesus is and that's not who he calls us to be. I mean, even, even when <laughs> I think of this story, you know the story, you know, John and James were called what? The sons of thunder, right? What a nickname that Jesus gave them, you know? But what I love is, you know, in that moment when, <laughs> when, when the people were like not believing in the gospel and John and James were like, let's call fire down from heaven and wipe them out. You know, Jesus wasn't like scolding. He's like, no, guys, let's, that's not what we're going to do. He encouraged them in a different direction, right? He's like, okay, I see your zealous nature. You really love me and my kingdom, but I want to encourage you in the right direction. You see, one of the things that I see all the time in the churches is somebody will get really zealous for Jesus. They'll get excited. They may be young and maybe not very mature, and, and they'll go to somebody who's older than them, and they'll get really excited. And instead of that older person directing them and using that encouragement to direct them and guide them into the place where God wants to use them, they scold them. They scold them. You know what I got told one time in this church years ago? I'm not going to name the person. I got scolded by somebody in our church for the way that I worshiped one time. Years, this is years ago, guys. You know what I did with that? Absolutely nothing. You know why? Because I realized that was not encouragement from God. That was of themselves. That was of them, their flesh. I have many as examples. I bet you have some too, right? You got some you can whip out, right? You're like, hey, oh, you want to hear a bigger one? Listen to this, right? You got something, right? You see, but see, that shouldn't be named among us. That's the thing. In God's word, he doesn't call us to be like that. You know, like I said, our goal shouldn't be to 
bring each other down. It should be to lift each other up. And this is the fact. If we have a problem with somebody, we should work it out correctly. We should do it the way God tells us to, according to his word. And we should forgive and love one another in that process. We don't do that enough. Somebody have a problem with somebody else, instead of just working it out accordingly in a righteous way, we want to get mad and just get upset and leave. And it's like, no, that's not how you do stuff. That's not what you do. That's not what God calls us to do. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 20. It says, the words of the godly are like sterling silver. The heart of a fool is worthless. The words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. See, godly words, godly people bring encouragement. They don't bring discouragement. Remember what Paul said, is there any encouragement amongst you? Is there, where, where, is it, where is the encouragement? Is it there? Are you loving each other? Are you building each other up? Is that your goal? Is that your focus? If we're approaching people with the heart of discouragement or opposition, then we should probably already know that we're not operating out of the Holy Spirit, but we're operating out of our flesh or selfishness. See, people discourage other people because they're envious of them. They're jealous of them. Or there's pride in them that doesn't want to see them succeed. I could care less about that, and you should, you should care less about that too. Just because somebody else is gifted in the body in a different way doesn't mean you shouldn't encourage them in that way. God's gifted you in a certain way for a certain purpose. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Verse 29 through 32. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. God's talking to, I mean, Paul's talking to the church here. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Did you, know that, that, did you know that grieves the Holy Spirit when you discourage people? That grieves him, especially in the body. Grieves, grieves the Holy Spirit. Bring sorrow. It says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And instead, be kind to each other. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving to one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. This thought came to my mind when I was writing this sermon. If the world can encourage itself to continue to be unrighteous, why can't we encourage people to be righteous? I remember my friends would encourage me to get drunk. They would encourage me to do drugs. You know, I was a drug addict for Jesus. They would encourage me to do this. But you know what I don't see a lot? is people encouraging each other to live like Jesus. The world does it all the time. Look at every commercial. Look at every beer commercial. Look at every commercial that promotes, that, that's encouraging. Every commercial that promotes greed. It's encouraging. The world encourages itself. In Romans 1, at the end of Romans 1, chapter 1, going into chapter 2, it talks about how the wicked people of the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and very at the end, I always remember this, it says, and they encourage others to do the same things, right? Yeah, 
Why aren't we encouraging people to live righteous? Why? Because we're afraid of what people will think? No, we should be encouraging one another. We should be encouraging the people that we work with. We should be encouraging the people that are surrounding us. And if they don't like it, well, then I guess they don't like it. That's fine. But you just keep encouraging them. Because one day it'll click. One day it might just do something in their heart. Trying to encourage people in the right way. See, the world encourages itself. But we should be encouraging one another to reach lost souls. We should be encouraging one another to love broken people. That's a big one. Somebody will come to you with their problem. Be like, I just can't stand this family member of mine. They're just yada, 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 this, that, and the other. And then we're like, yeah, you know, just don't, don't surround yourselves with them. Why don't you be an encouragement to them? Why don't you love them even though they don't love you? Why don't you love them? Because that's what Jesus did. Not despising one another because of envy or jealousy or selfishness, but we should be lifting one another up. We should be spurring each other on to pursue the vision and the work that God has given each of us. Part of receiving encouragement is we must be willing to share with others why we might feel discouraged. How many of you in this room like to tell people you're discouraged? Not very many, right? See, sometimes people will sit in their discouragement and they're afraid to tell somebody that they need encouragement. They go to God for encouragement, but maybe God wants to use somebody as well in their life to encourage them, but they're afraid. Because I think people are looking for encouragement from others, but they're not willing to say, I'm not okay right now. I feel down. Can you help me? Can you pray with me? See, we want to do it on our own. Like I said earlier, we want to somehow self-encourage ourselves to get us out of the situation we're in because if we let anybody know that we're imperfect and we're not living the perfect way that Jesus calls us to, then we're not doing a good job. And if we're not doing a good job, then we're not living like a good Christian and then we'll get ostracized from the church and then people won't like us anymore and then people will think we're less anointed and then people won't want to be around us anymore and then people won't believe the words that we speak because we're human. I mean, come on, Right? I've had every one of those thoughts before. I've had every one of those thoughts have come to my mind. We have to be honest with one another. And on the other side, we should always be looking for opportunities to encourage each other. When you see somebody that's down, you know, you could tell. I'm thankful for the fact that the Lord will allow me to see when people are discouraged because I'll go over to them and I'll encourage them and we should be doing the same thing. We should be encouraging one another. We should be looking for those opportunities, whether that's inside this church or it's being the encouragement of Jesus to a lost person. We should seek after these opportunities to show love and kindness to other people. So Paul, like I said, he starts off with saying, what does he say? He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Then he says this, I just got to the second one, man. We got four more to go, three more to go, I'm kidding. Look at this. He says, any comfort from his love? Any comfort? Is there any comfort from God's love? Do we have comfort from God's people in love? Do we desire comfort in love? How many in this room love comfort and love? There's people lying right now. They're like, like the, the, like the coldest person's like, no. And then their heart's like, yes, you do. You love it. Like, you know, like, like, Comfort and love. Everybody wants it, right? Everybody needs it. 
If you, if you say you don't, you're lying. We desire comfort and love. The answer, of course, when he says this, is any comfort from his love. Yes, there's comfort. There's comfort from God's love. And I think of this, those two things, those two words, comfort and love, are expressed ultimately in one great way. You know what they're expressed in? For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. The greatest comfort in love that we have is that Jesus Christ died for us willingly, freely. He gave up his life without a question, without a doubt. Look at Romans chapter three, verse 20 through 28. It says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for, for sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in, in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be made right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. The greatest comfort a person can have is their conscience being made clean. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, as I got older, it got really seared, as the word says. I seared it all up with sin. I seared my conscience. That's what the word says. It teaches that. The more we sin, the more you sear your conscience. The more you sear your conscience, the less your conscience has an effect on you. And God built us this way. He gave us a conscience to keep us in right standing. Because we all came to that age, like it was saying, the law is innately in us. That's what the word of God teaches us. This innate understanding of moral right and moral wrong lives in every person. And it's amazing how God made us that way, but our conscience is there to do what? To keep us on track. So whenever I, whenever I sinned, I guess you could say, whenever I screwed up as a kid, oh man, it was bad. Like I couldn't even sit still. If I knew I cheated on a test or something at school, my conscience was like pounding. You cheated on a test. You cheated on your math test. And I'd be in the car and my mom would look at me and be like, how's your day? You know, she'd be talking to me. And if my mom was here, she could testify. I was the guiltiest kid when I did something wrong. She knew immediately because why? My conscience would not let me go. And she'd just look at me and go, what'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do? And I'd be like, I cheated on my math test. She's like, we're calling your teacher. You're failing. You know, you're going to fail that test. Whatever it was, my conscience was there, right? You see, the greatest comfort in love that a person can have is their conscience being cleaned. It's their heart being cleaned by Jesus. 
all your past sins, all your past failures, being washed away, being forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. When you experience spiritual cleansing and forgiveness that Jesus gives to any person that puts their faith in him, you can experience the comfort and outpouring of God's love and peace in your heart. You see, people are desiring comfort, they're desiring love, but the reality is they're desiring Jesus to move in their lives. That's what they want. That's what they're longing for. You see, being right with Jesus Christ is the greatest feeling on earth because it's the deepest desire of comfort for a person's heart. Why? How? How's that? And why is that? It's because ever since the fall of mankind, all that a person longs for is purpose and fulfillment. Every person in this room wants purpose and you want fulfillment in your life. And the thing that we have to understand is that true purpose and fulfillment are only found in Jesus Christ because we know that God created all things through Christ and that in Christ we have been made in his likeness in the image of God. You see, the reason why people are longing for comfort and they're longing for love. And like Paul says, is this comfort and this love amongst you? Is his comfort and his love amongst you? He was saying this because he's trying to spur their thoughts. He's trying to say to the church, listen, are you comforting and loving people the way that Jesus has comforted and loved you? See, a lot of people want to find their comfort and their love and everything else. But the reality is our greatest comfort and our greatest love is found in Christ first. And then if we do that as a church, just like our encouragement, God will give us what we need to be a comfort for other people. Look at this scripture. Let me see if I can find it here. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 3. It says, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. I'll say that again. God is our merciful Father and the source of what? All comfort. If you came into this place feeling the need to be comforted, the need to be loved, I just say this, spend time with God. Spend time with Jesus. But understand this. He just doesn't comfort you for you. Look at what it says. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. We're not to hog the comfort, right? Don't hog the blanket, right? Don't hog God's comfort, but take it and use it. Give it to someone else. Comfort someone else in it. When they are troubled, we will be able, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will show us his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. See, we're called to be a comfort to one another. Are you comforting people in the body? Are you loving people in the body of Christ? Are you loving people in the world? Are you comforting people in the world? Are you caring for them? Are you showing them that love? Is his love amongst us? Is his comfort amongst us? Jesus has granted us the comfort that we need, not just for ourselves, but for other people who need it. That's what God's calling us to do. Look at this third thing. This probably be where I end. It says, any fellowship together in the spirit? He asks this question. Is there any fellowship together in the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you this. Are we fellowshipping in the Holy Spirit in this place? 
Yes, we are. We're here together on this day. But are we doing it outside of the church? Are we fellowshipping in the spirit outside of the church? Are we only making it a church time thing? We need fellowship. We need relationship. We need people to be connected. We need people to get together. We need people to have a meal. We need people to talk to one another and to love one another. And it not just always be in in this teaching setting or format. Because the reality is, I think in those moments, we learn more than ever. We learn who really cares and who really doesn't. We learn who really is for us and who maybe you feel like might be against you. But the reality is, is that God is calling us all together in the Holy Spirit. And are we doing that? Do we have fellowship with Christ through the Holy Spirit? Do we have fellowship with each other in the body through the Holy Spirit? As the church, we're called as the bride of Christ, and we're being brought together as one body waiting to be presented to Jesus. The Holy Spirit teaches us, leads us, works in us according to the will of God to have unity with Christ, but also to have unity with one another. We cannot do anything in disunity in this church. If you have, I'm telling you, if you have a problem with somebody here, whatever it may be, resolve it. Resolve it. Let there be unity. Because like the body, I want you to think of this, okay? Imagine your foot just didn't work one day or both your feet just didn't work one day. Are you going anywhere? Absolutely not. You're not going anywhere, right? You're stuck. Your arms don't work. You're not using them, right? The reality is, is like the body, each of us are a different piece of the body. We all have a different purpose. We're all used in different ways. And so if our body is not united in the Holy Spirit, if this unity isn't there, like Paul was saying to this church, then you can't be effective in what God's calling you to do as a church. Because the parts are missing that are needed. What the Holy Spirit is not into or about is the dividing of the fellowship or the separating of one another from this body. He's, he's not about that. He's not about, well, you know, this going go and congregating and creating a, a clique. And then in your clique, you talk about how everything's screwed up and it needs to be this way. That's not the way it works in a church. That's why most churches that live like that if at some point it separates, things happen, right? See, God's calling us to be unified in the spirit. The Holy Spirit is to draw us closer to Jesus. And then he moves and works in our hearts and he makes them soft to the Lord so that we'll be obedient to God as a body. That's what the unity of the Holy Spirit is. Look at John chapter, or 1 John chapter 2, verse 26 through 29. John says, In verse 26, I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you have received the Holy Spirit. He lives within you. So you do not need anyone to teach you what is is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. So God's saying, remain in unity in the Holy Spirit. This is a season where we have to remain in unity. As a time, as a church, you have to remain in unity. 
Because we all have a purpose. We all have a calling. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 through 24. 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 23, it says, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit that he gave us. So the Holy Spirit is calling us together as one to what? I'm, I'm going back. I'm recapping now. We're called to what? Encourage each other. We're called to comfort and love one another. And we're called to be in unity in the Holy Spirit. There's one more. One more question he asks. We're at three. He's calling us to do these three things. And my question today is, are we doing that as a church? Are we doing that? Are we being obedient in this way? The Holy Spirit is the one who works in the heart of a person. If we're not united in, our, in, in the Holy Spirit, then there's gonna be disunity. There's gonna be hardness of hearts. See, we have to understand that we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember what I said earlier. We don't want to grieve him by not walking in fellowship with Jesus and in the body of Christ. It grieves the Holy Spirit to see the people not united. I believe we're the most united we've ever been. And I'm thankful for that. Well, Pastor Reese, why are you saying all this? Why did God tell Joshua to study the word? So he wouldn't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget that we're called to be united. Don't forget that if we have a problem, we should work it out. Is there disunity in my relationship with Jesus? Do you know that affects the body? I'm not even kidding. That affects the body. You know how I know? Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul says there's a man among you who's sleeping with his father's wife, and that was causing disunity in the church. Why? Because that man was not walking in true relationship with Jesus Christ. He was walking in sexual immorality. And that was destroying something in the church. It was causing a spiritual warfare in the church that wasn't supposed to be there. See, our unity with Jesus in our personal relationship also affects the unity with Jesus in the entirety of the church as well. If we're forsaking our spiritual fellowship that we have with Jesus personally, the lost time with him, or we've forsaken that, we can begin to become disconnected with the people in the fellowship. Why? Because we, we begin to adopt the things of the world. Why do you think people leave? I'm not talking about leaving the church because, uh, and then going to another church. No, no, I'm talking about people who just leave Jesus. It's because they started to drift away from Jesus. They started to drift away from the unity of the fellowship. They started to not feel united with the body. And then slowly but surely, I've seen it. I know so many people my age who when I was 20 were hardcore for Jesus. I'm 26 now and they don't even love him. And I reach out to them and they say, don't bother me with that nonsense. And this was a person I wept on the floor with in prayer. I'm like, what, what happened? There was a disunity in the spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter four, verse one. It says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. That's a big one. We need to be patient with one another in the body. Especially when we have new people coming in. When we have lost souls who get saved in this church. Who don't look like the traditional whatever. I mean, I don't even know what that means. 
Those people need us to love them. Those people need us to encourage them. Those people need us to comfort them and build them up and unite them in the fellowship. Why? Because they don't have anything else. They don't know any. They'll go back to the world. Trust me, they will. They'll go back. They'll go back because they'll say, the world, the world loves me more than these people of Jesus. I mean, think about this. You want to use the perfect example? This is the perfect example of this. There was a guy named Saul who would kill all the Christians. You ever heard this story? He would run around and he'd chase them down and he'd hunt them down and he'd drag them out of towns and he'd stone them to death and he'd hold the coats of the... Oh yes, the stoning is right this way. Thank you. He would hold the coats. He would do these things willingly, excitingly. He loved it. That's what he wanted. And then one day he got blown off his horse on the road of Damascus, right? Y'all know the story, right? Right? And he says, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. What did the body of fellowship do with him? What did they do with him? Did they kick him out? You, you killed my grandma last month. You're out, dude. No way. You're not a part. It says they opened him with open arms, rejoicing in the work that God had done. They were saying the one who formerly persecuted us is now following with us and loving, preaching the gospel. He's doing the things of God. And then what do we have? Him writing half of the New Testament. It's a dude that was outside of the church, that was welcomed into the church, that was loved by the church and the unity of the Spirit. They didn't cast him out because he screwed up. They were patient with Paul. They were patient with him. They knew he knew so much. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's what he says. I mean, he had studied under one of the greatest teachers in Jewish history. He knew what it was, but yet those Christians were patient with him and they loved him. And that's what stirred his heart to write the letters. He said, you, like, especially the church of Philippi, they, they came and gave to him when he was in one of his biggest needs. If you read it, they, they gave, like, literally gave him money, gave him food, gave him, like, helped him. Like, he was in the verge of dying. God spoke to them. God used them and sent a man to help him. And he's writing back to them, thank you. Thank you for the unity that you're showing. He's saying, is this amongst you? My question is, is that amongst you, church? If we're going to reach drug addicts, people who are broken and screwed up, and they're coming in, and they may say a bad word every so often, and we're going to be like, well, he just said a bad word in front of, you know, blah, blah, blah. Kick him out. No, no. Go to the brother, of course. Hey, don't talk like that here, man. We got little children. We're trying to. But love him. Encourage him. Point him in the right direction. You see, that's what unity in the spirit is. It says, always be humble. Verse two, Ephesians chapter four, verse two. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Not because of your perfectness. Not because of your knowledge, but because of your love. Verse three, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called by one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. We have to be united. Last one. I'll finish the four questions. We'll be done. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? 
Is your heart tender and compassionate? Is your heart tender and compassionate? Are we walking in tenderness and compassion for other people? Are we walking in tenderness and compassion for people in this body? Are we walking in tenderness and compassion for the people outside of this? Are we walking in that? Jesus set the greatest example of this. We're called as a church to be like Christ, not just towards the church or just towards the world, but towards all things, all people. You know, Jesus was still kind to the people that hated him. And I think of the stories of Jesus's compassion. I think of Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. And Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Are we walking in compassion? Do we see people on the streets and go, they're just lazy, they should get a job? Do you think Jesus thought about that with those beggars? There's homeless people then. Did he turn them away? Ah, uh, you put yourself there. You deserve it. I, I know a lot of Christians who are like cold-hearted. It's sad. Because God didn't look at them and say that. When he was dying on the cross, he didn't look at them and say, ah, you were too cold-hearted. I can't give you my forgiveness or your, my compassion or my love. You made too many mistakes. You screwed up too much. Did too many wrong things. No, God welcomed them. Jesus welcomed them. He says he saw, the, he saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them. He healed their sick. Look at this in Matthew chapter nine, verse 35 and 36. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He was tender with them. He was loving and kind to them. He understood that they didn't know it all. He understood that they had made mistakes. He understood that they were put in a situation that they didn't even know what to do. It says he understood that they were helpless and confused, but he showed tenderness and compassion to them. He loved them. Are we doing that? You know, a week ago, I was with a bunch of homeless people. We were doing a little outreach. I went with my mom. You know, my mom was like, hey, I'm going to do this outreach in downtown Dallas, in South Dallas. I'm like, mom, you're not going up by yourself. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you're not going by yourself. I'm going with you. Of course, I went with her. And we had an amazing time. But I was around all these homeless people. And I just thought, how many people don't care? And this outreach team is doing a great work. Runner's Refuge, they're with the Assemblies of God. It's awesome. But I remember I would walk over to those people and I would start to talk to them and it was almost like they were kind of like in the customary. Like was, one was like, okay, yeah, go ahead and pray over me. <laughs> like, like, like he was just like, he knew what was like, you know? And I was like, no. And he was like, no, what do you mean? I was like, I just want to know you. I just want to know who you are. What's your name? What's your story? One guy, he was so whacked out on drugs, he was fighting something in the street he couldn't see. 
He was in a boxing match. And I was standing there watching him. And this lady walked up next to me and she started laughing. He's out of his mind. I said, he's fighting something. And she looked at me and said, what are you talking about? There's nothing there. I said, yeah, there's something there. It's spiritual. You can't see it. He's fighting something. This poor man, 34 years old, his whole life is wrecked because of crack cocaine. And I'm watching him fight the air and curse at nothing. And I sat there and thought, what would Jesus do? Would he laugh? Would he make fun of him? Would he say there's no hope? Or would he show compassion? Nobody would go up to him. Nobody. And the girl, the lady was looking at me. And I said, well, I'm going up to him. And they were all like, I'm like, shoot, if he swings at me, I'll just duck. I mean, hey, it's what it is. I go up to him and I call his name. He looks at me. You know what I said right off the bat? I said, can I pray over you? He goes, no, 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 no. Don't pray over me. Don't pray over me. Don't pray over me. He starts freaking out. Do you know Jesus? He starts trying to get away from me. He starts fighting over here. He's trying to get away from me. You know what the most amazing thing was, though? That man did not stop moving that entire time. We were there for three hours. He did not stop moving. But when that pastor got up and he started to preach the word of God, that man sat down crisscross applesauce and stared at him and listened to every word and didn't even move. You know what I thought right there? That's something spiritual. There's a battle. He was finding peace in the words of God. His mind was finally at ease. And when it stopped, guess what happened? It was the craziest thing. I knew there was something there in my heart. Some people may say, well, that's just a bunch of nonsense. No, I don't, because Jesus prayed over a demonic man and said that he restored all of his understanding. He was in his right mind again. Casted out the demons. Are we walking in hearts of tenderness, tenderness and compassion towards people? Look at this last scripture in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 14, it says, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we've passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows zero or no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we will be confident when we stand before God. Those three things, I'm gonna end here. Three questions he has. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? I want us to pray to end this service for those things, that those things will be found in this body. Because what I love is at the end, of, or I guess you could say the next verse, it says this is what Paul says in verse two of Philippians chapter, chapter two. He says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with, with, wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. 
Paul says, this will make me so happy. If these things are known amongst you, if you are encouraging each other, if you are comforting and loving one another, if you are having fellowship in the Holy Spirit, but not only that, if you're walking in tenderness and love, tenderness and love, tenderness and compassion, are we doing that? Are you doing that? God's called us to do that. He's given us his Holy Spirit to do that. So let's pray this morning for that. Amen. Father, as we end this morning's teaching, as we finish, Lord, at this time, I ask that, Lord, you would put these things in our hearts. As Paul presented these questions to the church, God, I ask that we would ask our own hearts right now. We would ask our own hearts as a body. Are we walking, Lord, in your love? Are we walking, Lord, in your tenderness? Are we walking, Lord, in your compassion? Are we walking in unity of the Holy Spirit? Are we encouraging each other, God? Are we comforting one another? Are we doing these things? Because yes, Lord, we know that we find all of these things first in you. But God, if we're not doing it amongst one another, how will we reach out and see the world changed by you? Lord, I believe at times the church is like a training ground. It's where we learn. It's where we grow. It's where we're taught. And then we go. And God, then when we go, we're, we're able, we're confident in you. We're supported by our brothers and sisters who say, go out, I'll go with you. I'll lock arms with you. I'll pray over the sick with you. I'll believe that the, that the miracles of God will happen with you. I'll stand next to you. So God, I pray for unity in this body. As we go forward, Lord, with the building, as we go forward, Lord, to greater things that you have for us, God, let us have unity in our hearts. Let us be encouraged by you. Let us encourage each other. Let us comfort and love one another. Let us not judge each other, God, because of our mistakes. But Lord, let us love one another and be patient. And know that, God, you're still working. And you're still moving in that person or in my life or in their life. That you're still accomplishing things. So God, just have your way in us as a body, as a church. Let us be like Christ to one another because that's who you've called us to be, Father. And we thank you for it, Father. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.